And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can always listen to our podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our socials on Facebook and on Twitter. So uh, good to be back, everyone, this week. It's kind of been a whirlwind of the last uh, few days. Um, you know, not with uh, Guest Friday, the stuff in the globe. It's still pretty crazy. But uh, again, want to say thank you to everyone that sent in questions for uh, the mailbag last week. That was a, a great, great week of or a great episode of all those questions. Uh, really was nice, you know, being able to answer questions from all different kinds of, you know, sports and, and topics. So I'm hoping to definitely do that again in the future. Um, so definitely keep an eye out um, if we are going to do that again. And obviously that will be uh, great to get some more questions. So again, thanks for everyone uh, sending in the questions. We got about 18 or 19. I had a lot longer of an episode uh, on front <laughs> whenever we recorded. It was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be, but uh, great questions. Um, so a lot to get to today. There is, you know, all kinds of uh, Boston topics to get to. There's a lot of national stuff uh, to get to as well. It was a pretty crazy weekend. Had the Masters going on. Scotty Shuffler uh, winning the Masters at 25 years old, which is just, you know, crazy. You know, I'm sitting here 26 years old. You know, what am I doing with my life? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but still pretty remarkable for him. So we'll definitely uh, touch on the Masters uh, later in uh, today's podcast. But we're going to uh, start today with the Celtics, who uh, finished their regular season last night uh, dominating the Grizzlies, 139-110. Pretty easy win for the Celtics last night. The Grizzlies uh, choosing to rest majority uh, of their players, including John Morant, which, you know, is kind of a little bit surprised, um, to be perfectly honest. I think he had played Saturday. That was the first game back um, since his knee injury. I think he missed nine or ten games. Um, and there was some conversation, you know, maybe they give him some minutes on Sunday. Ultimately, that didn't happen. The Celtics choose to, you know, play the game last night like a regular season game. Got the win pretty easily. Um, did let some of the bench guys get some good minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, Matt Ryan especially jacked up a couple threes. Did make one, so that was at least good. I think that he was, uh, up until the point that he made the three, he was the only player that... Uh, did not score in that game, so good to see him get on the scoreboard uh, with a three late in that game. But I think, you know, a lot of storylines coming into that last game, um, especially after the Bucks had lost earlier that afternoon and the Celtics went into it, you know, thinking that, you know, if they win, they get the second seed. You know, if they lose, you know, in all likelihood would drop to four because the Sixers ended up winning um, last night as well. But I think it was a good performance, you know, good way to finish the season on a high note. Uh, the Celtics winning two out of three on that final uh, road trip of the season. Um, the Celtics will likely open the playoffs Sunday, I believe. The Bruins are playing um, a Saturday matinee, so I would be surprised if the Celtics played Saturday night. I think that they'll be playing um, Sunday at some point. Um, and then obviously the opponent is to be decided. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, you know, I think first it just makes sense to talk about what a great year the Celtics have had. And I think 
take a step back and kind of look at this whole season as a whole, you know, and you look at where this team has come from. And I know that it's, you know, been beaten into us a lot, you know, like kind of beating a dead horse about how amazing this turnaround has been. Um, but I think that, to be perfectly honest, this is a turnaround that to me is about up there as impressive with that championship team in 2008. Now, obviously, I think this is different because the turnaround happened during the season, which I actually think it's more difficult, you know, than the turnaround the Celtics had in that season where, you know, they went from 24 wins to 66. But, you know, this is a Celtics team that was struggling to be over 500 the first half of the season. You know, it wasn't like, oh, they struggled for the first few weeks. It's like, no, they struggled until the new year. You know, they were 18 and 21 at some point. The Celtics turn around and go 33 and 10 the rest of the year. So it just is, you know, unbelievable to think about. And the amount of, you know, effort that it's taken from a bunch of different guys to, I think, realize that what they were doing was not working and they needed to change. And I think that it's it's surprised a lot of us to see that not only can they change those bad habits, but they can thrive. You know, they can be one of the best teams in the NBA, which they've played like the last few months. And, you know, 33 and 10 over 43 games, you know, that's, you know, pretty amazing, you know, and it's about a half a, half a season. So I think that it's a pretty good, you know, sample size to believe that, you know, this is a team that can be really good and can be you know, one of the best teams in the league and can be a team that challenges uh, to go to an NBA Finals or even win a championship. So I just think, you know, 51 and 31 is pretty remarkable. I mean, even think coming into the season, I didn't even think that was possible. You know, when I think you had a lot more, you had kind of a lot more optimism at the beginning of the season than you did maybe in the middle of the year where 18 and 21 were like, okay, they're going to struggle to play-in team you know now it's the reverse they're going to play a play-in team in the playoffs so uh, just pretty remarkable I mean I think that so many different people um, in the organization deserve praise you know I think Ime Odoka and his staff have been incredible you know I think um, Ime definitely deserves some votes for coach of the year I don't know if he wins it but I think he's done a tremendous job and a tremendous job kind of sticking with the process sticking with these guys and understanding that, you know, it was going to take time for them to adjust to a new coach. And I think just the patience that he has shown this year uh, with a bunch of different guys that I think it's really paid off. Um, but I also think there are some players that have been tremendous this season. You know, obviously the easy thing would be to say, you know, Jalen and Jason, they've been a big reason why they've been unbelievable this season. You know, you wouldn't be wrong. Because I think Jason's game has developed into, or he has developed into a much better all-around player than I think we've seen in any of his previous years with the Celtics. We all know what he can do scoring the basketball. We all know that he has the ability to take over games offensively. But he's become a great rebounder. He's become a very good ball distributor. You know, been a guy that can average five, six assists a game. You know, he's become an even better defender. You know, I think that he has always had those defensive instincts, but I think that he has gotten better this season. Um, you know, Jalen Brown has been fantastic. You know, you see him get better every single year. 
Um, and I think you saw Robert Williams, you know, finally be able to be healthy for a majority of the season. I mean, obviously it's not ideal that he's hurt right now, but I think that he played to the ability, you know, really kind of played to the ability that the Celtics saw when they drafted him. You know, someone like Marcus Smart has been tremendous. You know, Al Horford has turned back the clock and has been an excellent piece for the Celtics. Um, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, going through some tough some tough times at the beginning of the season where he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And, you know, the Celtics were sticking with Schroeder and he played, you know, majority of the first half of the year. But I think he stayed, he stayed patient um, and he is now playing at a higher level than, than he was last year, I honestly think. And I think, you know, the deadline acquisitions have been great as well. Um, so I think, you know, just thinking of this season as a whole, there are a lot of guys that deserve a lot of credit for the position that the Celtics are standing in right now. Um, as far as who they are going to play, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how the Celtics were, you know, going to approach this game yesterday. I think after learning that the Bucks had lost and the Celtics were thinking, okay, you know, do we want to play for the win? Do we want to get the second seed or do we want to try to kind of play with fate a little bit and see if they can get the three seed to face a, you know, favorable matchup against Chicago or, you know, run the risk of having to play Toronto. So I think the Celtics played it about as well as they should have. I know that there are a lot of people out there that are saying, oh, you know, you should have tried to avoid the Nets. And I think you could have done that. But I also think, you know, there are a couple there are a couple things that I think here. I think, first of all, the most important thing for them and for me is home court advantage. And I think that's why they went out and won this game yesterday, because getting the second seed gives you home court advantage in the first round. And then the second round, if you get there and it gives you home court against a team like Milwaukee, a team that you probably will be facing, you know, and being the second seed, you know, it gives you home court also in the conference finals if the Heat don't get there. So I think getting home court is definitely, was definitely a priority, and I think it should have been. Uh, but I also think, you know, if we're talking about the Nets, I think that, first of all, it's not a guarantee that they're playing the Nets. Second of all, the Celtics have played pretty well against Brooklyn this year. Yes, I know that a couple games, the Nets didn't have KD and Kyrie, so you kind of throw those games out the window. Um, but then third, the Nets are a good team, and I don't think you should run from them. You know, they're a team that have two superstar players, tremendous star power, but you should want that. You know, you should welcome that competition. And, you know, I think... The Celtics want to, you know, kind of have that redemption after losing to them last season and kind of losing to them in a pretty listless fashion. You know, fair enough, they didn't have Jalen Brown, but I think there still is a lot that kind of stings from that playoff loss last season. And so I think the Celtics should have plenty of motivation to play this Nets team. Um, and I think certainly it's not the most ideal matchup when you think about what KD and Kyrie can do offensively, but the Nets are not a very good defensive team. They're not as deep as they were last season. You know, this is a team that doesn't have Joe Harris. You know, they don't have James Harden. You know, they don't have Ben Simmons. You know, even though there is a report that he might be ready for the first round, I think Steve Nash pretty much 
refuted that, but this is a team that doesn't play well defensively. And I think, sure, KD and Kyrie all know what they can do offensively, but the Celtics have shown that they can kind of go toe-to-toe with those types of teams. And I think the Celtics are going to play better defense than the Nets are going to. Um, so, sure, the Nets will scare you based on their t- their star talent, but the Celtics also have star talent, too. And the Celtics are also a team that plays really well as a unit. So, you know, and I think that they are also highly motivated um, as well. So I don't think playing a team like the Nets is the worst thing in the world. But, you know, then again, as I, fir- as I said first, it's no guarantee that you play them. You know, it is possible that you play a team like Cleveland, which I think would be a much more favorable matchup for this team. Uh, the Celtics actually won the season series against both of these teams. Uh, won three out of four against Brooklyn, two out of three against Cleveland. So I think really, when you look at both of these teams that they could play, the Celtics should beat both of them. You know, I think that certainly both of those opponents kind of have their challenges, but you should be able to beat both of those teams, you know, fairly easily. You know, if one of the if the series has to go to six games, so be it. But I think the Celtics are better than both of these teams and you know, sure, you never know what, you know, KD is going to look like in the playoffs. He's a guy that can get 60 points, you know, fairly easily, I think. Um, but I think that this is a Celtics team that is going to be prepared for whatever team that they play. And they're going to be well-equipped to, you know, deal with any of these teams and any of these teams that present problems, you know, whether it's Cleveland or whether it's Brooklyn, Um we will take a look at the playoff standings or playoff matchups in a little bit. Um, but the Nets-Cavs 7-8 game will take place tomorrow night at 7. So winner of that game will play the Celtics. Game 1 at the Garden will probably be Sunday, although don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if that's official yet. Um, but certainly there will definitely be an announcement on that. Speaking of the NBA playoffs... Um, I will be joined on Guest Friday this week by my good friend, Derek Welch. We'll be talking uh, about the Celtics and their playoff series and then taking a look at the other um, NBA playoff series as well, kind of giving you guys an in-depth look. We'll kind of get into some of the matchups today, but obviously we're not going to get super deep into it. You know, that's what what Guest Friday is going to be for. Um, So definitely looking forward to that conversation. Um, As far as any other Celtics things, I think that there was a report about Robert Williams seeming to be doing doing well, you know, recovering from the uh, meniscus tear. I think that he's back in the uh, practice facility doing some work. So not imagining that Rob is going to be available anytime soon, um, but I think there is a possibility he becomes available in the second round. so I think that definitely would help them if they play a team like Milwaukee or, you know, whether Chicago would able to would be able to pull the upset in that first round series. So don't expect Robert Williams in the first round, but I think it is encouraging that he is already kind of working out and doing those things to to get ready. So um, good end to the season for the Celtics. Good win against the Grizzlies. So Celtics will be off to off till the weekend. Uh, Marcus Smart appears to be the odds-on favorite to win the um, 
appears to be the odds-on favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year, which is really exciting. He's become the first guard since Gary Payton to win it 20-some-odd years ago. It's kind of amazing that it's been that long since a guard has won it, that it's kind of been a award dominated by a big man, big man. But I think Marcus has been tremendous this year. Um, I think really has a great chance to win Defensive Player of the Year. I believe that those awards get reward, get announced in the playoffs, so it's entirely possible that Marcus could get uh, presented with that award later in the playoffs. And just kind of some final thoughts about the Celtics as we approach uh, the postseason. They were a team that was very good at home, 28-13, and 13, and so I think that also played into what they were trying to do yesterday is to try to get the highest seed that they could so they could get home court advantage as long as they possibly can. You know, I think really the only teams in the NBA that they would not get home court advantage over, you know, would be the Heat and then the top two seeds in the Western Conference. But, you know, Celtics get through to the Eastern Conference final and the Heat aren't there. They'll have home court. They get to the finals and the first and second seeds somehow aren't there. They get home court too. So, I think that that played a factor into their decision to kind of, you know, play the game yesterday like a regular season game. So that's probably going to be it for the Celtics. We'll obviously be back to talk much more about them um, on Guest Friday, so I'm very much looking forward to that. So we'll jump to the Bruins right now. Uh, Bruins coming off a 4-2 loss in D.C. yesterday against the Washington Capitals. That was definitely a frustrating game, I think, from a couple different perspectives. Um, You know, first of all, you lose the game on a really unlucky deflection. You know, you watch the replay of that go-ahead goal by Eller in the third period. Eric Halla is doing exactly what you're supposed to do. You know, getting in a position to block a shot, to knock it down. The puck goes off his stick and past Olmark, and it's just as like... It's just one of those bounces where it just doesn't go your way, and it just is really frustrating that that ended up kind of being the deciding factor. Ovechkin gets an empty net goal with a couple seconds left, um, but kind of just a really frustrating game, you know, a game where the Bruins were a little too loose with the puck. They had a lot of turnovers, especially in the third period. You know, Grizzlick leaves the game with an injury, and it was just like things kind of went from, from bad to worse yesterday afternoon. Um, so, you know, Bruins are back from the trip, you know, two and two overtime wins in Columbus and Tampa Bay, um, had that loss to Detroit last week, which was pretty ugly. Bruins blowing a two goal lead um, in that game. But I will also say that Linus Oldmark has been tremendous. Um, he's had some starts recently where he's looked really, really good. You know, obviously it was outstanding in the Tampa Bay game. I thought he was really good yesterday too. Um, so he is certainly kind of getting on a bit of a of a hot streak, which is great for the Bruins because Jeremy Swayman has had some issues recently. I think that since the beginning of March, his goals against and save percentage are not very good, aren't really where the Bruins want to see it. But I think it's okay because I think it's going to happen. He's a young player. He'll go through struggles. It happens with every young player, you know, whether you're a goalie or not. Um, but I think the good news is the Bruins have always had one goalie that's played well at whatever point they, they're in in the season. So, for example, right now, Swayman's not playing well, but Olmark is. The Bruins have had plenty of examples this season where Swayman's played well 
and Olmark struggled. So I think the good news is the Celta, the Bruins, have not gone through a period where both goalies are struggling. So I think that's a good sign at least. Um, but one of the one of the downsides of this trip is a couple guys left games with injuries. You know, obviously Pasternak and Lindholm left, or Pasternak left the Columbus game, and then Lindholm left the left the Detroit game. Uh, both of those guys missed the last two games. Then Grizzlick obviously getting hurt yesterday. So um, the Bruins are a little bit banged up. And I think, you know, when you look at the overall of the road trip, I wouldn't say it was bad. You know, the Bruins, I think, played well in that Columbus game. They played great in Tampa Bay. You know, I thought that was one of their best performances of the season, um, just with how well Mark played and I think how well the team played in kind of a, a playoff atmosphere. So... That was definitely a good note. You know, Bruins were a little bit shorthanded yesterday. Obviously, Grizzly going out. Bruins having to play five defensemen. Um, so, you know, I think it is what it is. But I also think, you know, the Bruins kind of need to get back on track. And it's going to be challenging. You know, five of the next six for the Bruins are going to be against playoff teams. You know, two games against the Blues. They got a game against the Rangers. Um, and then Pittsburgh. And then there's one other team. We'll look at the schedule in a moment. But, you know, it's not going to get any easier. So I think, you know, you close the book on the road trip. You try to get back to being a solid team at, at the Garden. Bruins have a number of home games coming up. So I think being home will be good for them. Um, I think going forward, you know, you look at what they're, what they're approaching with 10 games left in the regular season and looking at how easily some guys have dropped out of the lineup. You know, I think the Bruins need to be very careful about how they approach these next 10 games because, of course, you want to try to finish in an ideal spot in the seedings. You know, you want to try to avoid a really difficult team. But I think at the same time, you look at the Eastern Conference, you know, the Bruins are going to play a very good team in the first round of the playoffs regardless. You know, the Bruins are not in a position where they can kind of manipulate, so to speak, their playoff opponent that, you know, they're going to have to try to just kind of finish as well as they can with the players that they have um, and just hope that the matchup they have is not too difficult because I think, you know, playing to the seedings is not really something that they can really do right now. You know, it's not like the Bruins are neck and neck with the Florida Panthers at the top of the division. You know, it's not like they're in that spot. They're kind of in a spot where they kind of just have to say, you know, hey, we're in the spot that we're in, and it is, it's going to be what it's going to be, um, but we need to get guys healthy, and I think that health for me is way more important than trying to, you know, get that second seed in the Atlantic or, you know, finish within the Atlantic. Obviously, you would like to, but I think you want to make sure that your guys are healthy. You know, you want to make sure that you, you know, go into the playoffs healthy rather than going in not fully healthy and taking on a team that, you know, maybe you think is the best team that you could play. But, you know, you look at Toronto, Tampa Bay, you know, Carolina, the Rangers, Florida, you know, all those teams are on the table for the Bruins to play in the first round. And none of those teams are going to be easy to play. You know, it just goes to show you how good the East has been this year. But the Bruins honestly really don't really have a choice but to I think, try to get guys healthy. And clearly, if 
guys are dropping like flies. They have to be very careful and they have to, you know, do the best they can with what they have. Um, and that kind of leans into my next topic, which is what is the lineup going to look like the rest of the year? What's the lineup going to look like for the next few games? Um, you know, I think with Grizzly going down, you know, you have to be smart about him because he's a very good, very important piece of your defense. You know, Lindholm is still out. We don't know what his status is for tomorrow. You know, I think that he was a game-time decision in Tampa Bay. Didn't play yesterday. You got to think that he's close. Really have not heard anything about Pasternak. He might be close, but I think the Bruins have to be very careful to not rush guys back from injury. You know, they have to be very, very careful because the last thing you want is to go into the playoffs and Pasternak is you know, re-aggravated that core issue or whatever issue he has. You know, you go into the playoffs and Lindholm has re-aggravated his knee. You know, so I think if we're taking a look at the lineup and you think about guys that could, you know, be thrown in to kind of give some guys a day off, you know, Jack Ashawn, I think defensively, he has definitely earned another shot to be thrown back into the lineup. I know that the Bruins are trying to find the best combination for you know, Mike Riley, Derek Forbert, and kind of that bottom pair. But I think it wouldn't hurt to give Ashan a chance, and I think he's a guy that I think, worst-case scenario, maybe he plays some playoff games, but I think it wouldn't hurt to get him in there because I think he's played well in the games that he's played. He's looked very comfortable. So I would be curious to see if they give him a shot to play with Carlo or with whoever if Grizzly has to miss time. Um, and I think, you know, with how important that is to the off, to the defense, you maybe want to be as careful as you can and keep him out of some games um, just to kind of make sure that he can be 100%. You know, obviously it's not ideal when you have to play a team like Washington because they're really physical. You know, the hits, the lumps, you know, the hits and lumps you'll take. Um, but obviously it's not ideal when you lose, you know, one of your top defensemen. So... I'm curious to see how they approach that. You know, another guy that I think could could be well off being put back into the lineup is Anton Bleed. I think that he's played very well in the games that he's played. And obviously, you know, Felino's kind of been hit or miss recently. He did play well yesterday. But I think Bleed is another guy that definitely has deserved another chance to, you know, just kind of be thrown into the lineup. You know, thank goodness, other than Pasternak, the Bruins have not really had any injury issues in the in the in the forward group, but I think, you know, he's a guy that could use some time on the fourth line. You know, I think the Bruins are hoping that Pasternak can return soon, but then again, it's like you want to make sure that he's returning at a hundred percent or close to that, because the last thing you want is to have him re-aggravate an injury and then he has to miss time in the playoffs. You know, that's really worst case scenario. So. It's going to be interesting, you know, to see how the Bruins approach these next few games. Um, but it's going to be challenging because there's some good teams that are coming in uh, to TD Garden this week. you got St. Louis tomorrow. First time the Bruins have played the Blues at the Garden. Or first time maybe they have played them since the Stanley Cup Final um, in 2019. Uh, they have the Senators on Thursday. Obviously, they're not a very good team, but they do have a group of players that do uh, sometimes kind of show up and play well. So that will be interesting. Bruins play Pittsburgh on the weekend, and then they also have Pittsburgh again next week. So it's Pittsburgh that they play twice in the next couple of weeks. 
So one, one little thing I was going to talk about for uh, the Bruins before we move on to some transactions that they made over the weekend um, is taking a look at Linus Olmark and how good he's been recently for the team. Um, you know, obviously, as we said, Swayman's kind of had some issues recently, which is understandable. You know, I think that it's not anything to be concerned about because I think like any young player, you're going to go through struggles. And I think especially at the goalie position, you know, you're not going to be perfect at all times. He came in last year and was excellent, but I think, you know, he's learning that this is, this is his, you know, first full year as a pro and, you know, they're going to be bumps and bruises and you kind of just got to be able to battle through it. And I think that for the most part this season, he's done a great job at bouncing back, you know, from some, some tough outings. So I'm curious to see what he, what the Bruins see for him the rest of the year, but Getting back to Olmark, he's been a guy that's been excellent for the Bruins um, in the last couple of games. In his last in his last ten games, he is six two and one save percentage in April, which is uh, three games nine twenty eight, which is the best it's been all season. He had a nine fifteen save percentage in the month of March. His goals against this month in his three starts one point nine seven. And 2.20 was his goals against um, last month. So he's definitely someone that's gotten into a rhythm and has played well against some really good teams. You know, he's made some unbelievable saves recently. Um, I think he was the reason why the Bruins were able to win that game in Tampa, you know, and made some unbelievable saves yesterday. You know, unfortunately, the Bruins were unable to get a point out of it, but he was tremendous. And I think... uh, as of right now, he would be the guy that I would start in the playoffs. I think, in my opinion, it's not the worst thing in the world to go into the playoffs with two goalies that can play. You know, I think ideally you want to have one guy, but I think for the Bruins' sake, you kind of just should play the guy who's playing the best. Um, and I think don't overthink it. So, I mean, I think if the playoffs started today, you know, Olmark should get the start in game one, but I think the Bruins should prioritize, you know, using both of these guys, but I think not using them where it's like, oh, you know, they have to get one game off here, one game in there. But I think kind of, you know, reading how good each of the goalies are and just kind of going from there. Um, You know, I think that, you know, if you think about Pittsburgh in, I think it was 2016 when they had Fleury and uh, Matt Murray, you know, it kind of worked. Well, you know, it did work. They won a Stanley Cup, but, you know, not saying that the Bruins will win a Stanley Cup doing that, but I think it just means that it's kind of proven that you can use two goalies, and I think it can, you know, work pretty well. So I'm going to be curious to see how the Bruins approach these next 10 games and then who gets to start game one, but I think certainly it's trending in uh, Olmark's direction at this point. So the Bruins made a couple of... Uh, transactions over the weekend. Uh, they signed Oscar Steen yesterday to a two-year extension worth 800000 per year, so he is still finishing off the first year of his entry-level contract this season, um, so he will be signed the next two seasons. So good stuff for Oscar. He has played a couple games with the Bruins this season. I think it was... It's actually 19. It's actually more than I thought. Uh, Two goals, four assists, six points. Um, Has 31 points in 41 games 
in Providence this season. So he's definitely someone that, you know, the Bruins could throw in there, give him a game or two at the end of the season. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think, you know, if you want to give Craig Smith a game off, maybe you throw Steen in on the third line. You know, if Pasternak still needs to, to take time, you know, Steen's someone that I think they could use. You know, Jesper Froden is someone they could also use. He's played some games this year, too. Um, so Steen is signed, and then the Bruins made the signing official of Gorgi Merkulov, who is a left winger for Ohio State. Bruins signed him as an undrafted free agent to an entry-level contract worth 925000 for the next three years. Uh, Merkulov had uh, 36 games played this season for Ohio State, scored 20 goals, had 34 points, so he was pretty good. He's played um, in the USHL also for the Youngston Phantoms. So an interesting signing here. You know, I don't really know too much about him. I think that he will play for Providence right away. Uh, 5'11", 181, born in 2000. So, you know, he's someone that I think you could could be interesting to keep an eye on. The Bruins are always a team that kind of dips into the undrafted free agent market. And, you know, typically they've had pretty good results with it. So I'm curious to see where he fits in um, in Providence this year. You know, what he looks like at training camp next year, assuming that he's there. Um, not someone that I believe is going to help the Bruins this season, but I think, you know, clearly the Bruins giving him an entry-level contract, you know, believe that he can be a, a reasonable help, you know, maybe someone that could be up with the big club as early as next season. Um, so curious to see what the plan is for him. Uh, we'll take a look at the Red Sox now as we move from baseball or hockey to baseball. The Red Sox wrapped up their three-game set with the Yankees last night. Red Sox winning at Yankee Stadium 4-3, uh, their first win of the season after they had dropped the first two uh, to the Bronx Bombers um, at the new Yankee Stadium. I have to be honest, you know, even as a Red Sox fan, I, I still miss the old Yankee Stadium. I was thinking about that when I was watching the game um, on Saturday afternoon. It just is like there is something just so iconic about that arena or that stadium where it just was like, it just was like not not exactly a house of horrors because I think the Red Sox kind of exercised their demons there in 2004, but it just still was something like intimidating of playing in that old stadium, you know, and now it's like, now it's just like, it's not, it's not the same feel. Um, but I think naturally it kind of makes sense. You know, Yankee Stadium, the old one was around for so long, you know, the new one's only been around for, you know, 14 years, 13 years at this point, but just uh, really does not have the same feel as the old stadium, I'll just say that. Um, but I think good stuff for the Red Sox, good win last night. Uh, the bullpen pitched pretty well. Tanner Houck um, pitched three and a third last night, uh, which was all right. You know, had some kind of control issues, but the bullpen pitched well. You know, they pitched the rest of the game, didn't give up a run. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck go-ahead home run in the sixth inning. So the Red Sox were able to salvage uh, a win in the Bronx this weekend, which was huge. You know, it was really frustrating the way that they lost, you know, the first two games, you know, scoring first in um, all three of these games and then losing the first two, you know, definitely was was uh, definitely was difficult. But I think, 
you know, just getting a win in this first series is just huge. You know, not starting 0-3 like you did last year. I mean, I was not ready for the, uh, you know, negativity on Twitter if, you know, they had lost three in a row to start the season for the second straight year. But I think good for them to win. You know, I wouldn't say that they played horrible in these games. You know, obviously you would have liked to win the home, the, the opener, you know, that you lost in extra innings. But, you know, what can you do? It's the first game of the season. And I think it was good to see that at least they could score some runs. You know, the starting pitching was a little bit shaky against the Yankees on Saturday as Pavetta made a couple mistakes and the Yankees won 4-2, to two, but great job by the offense um, getting some runs early. That's kind of been a theme in the first couple games uh, that they've gotten off to good starts, scoring runs in the first couple innings, which is huge because I think that tells you that the guys are, you know, ready and prepared for the start of the season. Now, you know, not everyone has been hitting. You know, Trevor Story, I think, is one for eight in his first two games. Uh, missed the game last night because I think he had flu-like symptoms, uh, tested negative for COVID, so that's at least good. Um, but I think everyone else, you know, you look at the early starts in games, you know, Devers with the home run in the first game in the first inning. You know, Bogarts and Martinez have driven in some runs also as well. You know, Verdugo hitting his first home run in the second inning on Saturday. So I think it's a good sign offensively that, the guys that you expect to perform are performing. Because I think there are a bunch of guys that were slow out of the gate last season. So it's good to see that the offense is, is getting hits, driving in runs, driving in runs early in games. So good stuff there. You know, I also think the bullpen, as, as evidenced with their performance, yesterday you know also pitched well saturday you know pavetta gave up all four runs you know they were a little shaky i think in the first game but i think that you know some guys like garrett whitlock cutter crawford have kind of found their found their momentum you know jake diekman as well got the save last night struck out the side um you know which is interesting i think the red sox may be rolling with him as their closer just for the first few weeks um, it sounded like matt barnes was not available in the yankees series so I'm curious to see when he comes back. I think he was dealing with um, some back tightness, so curious to see what he looks like in his first game. Um, but obviously, you mentioned Whitlock and how well he pitched in that first game. Got a new extension from the Red Sox yesterday. Uh, Four-year extension worth $18.75 million, so I think it's a tremendous deal. You know, I think he's someone that uh, can be used in a bunch of different situations. You know, a shutdown guy in the middle innings, someone that can go in long relief. You know, if there's someone like Rich Hill that, you know, doesn't pitch too many innings, Garrett Whitlock can go in, give you three, four innings. So, you know, he's kind of a, a Swiss Army knife, if you will. You know, someone that can be used in a bunch of different situations. So good for the Red Sox to get him signed long term. You know, I think there are a couple of other guys that some of us would like to be <laughs> signed long term sooner, sooner rather than later. But you know, it's going to be what it's going to be there. Um, but that's at least good that Whitlock will be locked up um, early. The Red Sox will kick off a three-game set with the Tigers this afternoon at 5 o'clock in Detroit. Uh, so the Red Sox continuing their home opening or season opening road trip, and then they will have their home opener 
Friday afternoon against the Twins. As we kind of take a look at what their who their starters are going to be for the next few games, uh, Michael Waka expected to start today. Rich Hill will start tomorrow afternoon, and then Nathan Ivaldi is scheduled to start Wednesday afternoon against old friend Eduardo Rodriguez, who I had completely forgotten signed a deal with the Tigers. Actually, this was pre-lockout, so kind of, uh, you know, way back in, in prehistoric times. <laughs> and then Nick Pavetta is scheduled to start the home opener on Friday afternoon. So the Red Sox rolling with, you know, Ivaldi and Pavetta as their one-two. You know, how pitched last night, you'll see what Waka can do today. Um, and Rich Hill as well on Tuesday. So, you know, curious to see as the starting rotation kind of gets into a bit of a flow, you know, curious to see if they can keep up a, a rhythm of pitching pretty well. You know, I think that Ivaldi pitched all right in the opener. You know, Pavetta had some issues. Hauk obviously had some issues, but curious to see what they can do in the next few games. So Waka today, Hill tomorrow, and then Ivaldi on Wednesday. So I think... That will probably finish, or some, or finish my baseball thoughts. Uh, there are a couple of Patriot things that I wanted to get to as well. Uh, you may have seen on social media last week that uh, Mac Jones had a throwing session, I believe, or a workout session, whatever you want to call it, where he was uh, throwing with uh, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, and JJ Taylor, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's at least good to see. You know, good that Mac was getting ready with some of his, you know, teammates that I think are going to be big parts of the offense this season. You know, I'd be curious to see if you see anything with Devontae Parker. It seems like Mac is, is excited about, uh, is excited about, you know, seeing as an addition to the team, um, which, you know, as we said last week, I think he's going to help the team and, you know, is going to be a big time player that I think can elevate this offense to be you know, more dangerous than it was even when it was clicking like it was last year. So I think I am, you know, looking forward to to how, you know, Mac looks in the kind of off-season workouts and that sort of thing as we approach um, training camp in July. The Patriots obviously will have, will have some off-season workouts, they'll have OTAs, you know, mandatory minicamp, all of those things that we'll keep track of um, in the coming months. Um, also, the Patriots reportedly have met with a bunch of top cornerbacks that will be available in the first few rounds of the draft. So that's, I think, good for the Patriots. May think you do your due diligence. <laughs> you do your due diligence with the top guys. With the top guys, you know, I think it makes sense. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're going to draft them. You know, it just means that the Patriots are getting comfortable with a bunch of different guys that they may possibly draft. You know, Andrew Booth from Clemson is one of those guys. You know, I'm excited to see if the Patriots get an opportunity to draft him. He's someone that I think could really help their defense right away. I think that, you know, he, Roger McCreary, maybe a couple of other guys are like the most pro-ready cornerbacks. You know, you could probably put uh, Sauce Gardner in there as well, you know, as probably really pro-ready guys that, you know, if they're there at 21, the Patriots might have no choice but to pick one of those guys. You know, maybe they go after a N'Kobe Dean or, 
a Devin Lloyd as, you know, linebacker. But I think good to see that they're, you know, meeting with cornerbacks, getting comfortable. But again, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to draft those guys. But I think it at least makes you feel that, okay, the Patriots are prioritizing positions that, you know, we think are important, but that they also think are important as well. So that's kind of all my quick Patriot notes. Uh, We're going to get to the revolution. Um, And it's kind of gone from uh, bad to worse for them at the start of the year. They still are, have only won once in MLS competitions. They lost on Saturday 3-2 to Inter-Miami. Revs have lost uh, four of their first six games in Major League Soccer. And it's just like uh, kind of shocking, you know, what's happened in the first couple weeks of the season. You know, obviously there's been a lot of, a lot of things that have gone on for the Revs. You know, you think about the, CONCACAF Champions League and guys that have been in and out of the lineup because of injury, suspension, or, you know, international duty. You know, it's, uh, the Revs have struggled to find some continuity and, you know, talk about, talk about that in a moment, but a couple of big defensive breakdowns, um, on Saturday, which is obviously not good to see. And I think, you know, as I've said at the beginning of the year, you know, Matt Turner, you know, still hasn't played, I think still still dealing with some injuries, but, you know, once he goes to Arsenal or goes to England, like, the Revs are not, the Revs don't have a goalie right now that can bail them out, and I think if the Revs are going to continue to play poor defense, you know, it's only going to get uglier, and I think they kind of have to figure out something that, that's going to work because you can't have Brad Knight or Earl Edwards Jr., you know, back there and having to you know, bail, bail the team out like Matt Turner did, and no disrespect to them, but I think they're not on the same level as Matt Turner, and I think the Revolution have to understand that and have to understand that, okay, we have to play better defense in front of our goalie because it's not the same goalie that we had last year. So, you know, something needs to change. You know, I don't know if it's continuity. I don't know, you know, if the communication isn't good enough. It's just the Revs keep giving up late goals, and it's really frustrating because that's one of the issues that they had a couple years ago, and now it's like creeping back um, and becoming a big issue. So, you know, hopefully the Revolution pick it back up. They have their next game against uh, Charlotte on Saturday at 7.30 at Gillette Stadium. I almost said TD Garden, but playing at Gillette Stadium Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. Um, Justin Rennix and Ryan Spaulding have been getting some opportunities. They both started on Saturday. So that's good to see. You know, Rennix is so interesting because I remember him as a young player when he, you know, made his first start with the Revolution in 2019, or like made his debut, I should say. You know, I remember him as such kind of a young, baby-faced guy, and here he is now like three years later, and it's like, okay, you know, this guy legitimately, you know, can help the, can help the team. He scored on Saturday, and great goal, great setup. Uh, by Juwan Jones, so that was good to see. You know, Ryan Spaulding, a defender that I want to say played for the Revs too last year, their, like, development team, if you will. Um, So he's been getting some opportunities early on. The Revs, I think, trying to find some, find a good combination, you know, for their back line, you know, without having someone like uh, Tejan Buchanan, but I think they've also had some struggles too. You know, someone like Omar Gonzalez, who I think's had a tough time kind of fitting in and playing to, 
his ability, I guess, but it just is hard because he's on the older side and it's like he's not really the player that he used to be and has been taken advantage of a couple times um, for goals um, early on in the season. So, you know, curious to see where Spalding fits in, you know, what that defense looks like. Um, but I think, as I mentioned, you know, continuity, I think that's really important, specifically in the forward group, because I think you've had games all over the place where, you know, Books is not playing for whatever reason. Um, he didn't play Saturday because he had got a red card in the game pre in the previous game against the Red Bulls. You know, Bo was out with an injury, you know, and it just is like you're throwing a bunch of different guys into situations that I think, not that they're not equipped to it, but it's, you know, hard for someone like Carlos Heel or, you know, Matt Polster or some of those midfielders that are playing with, you know, different forwards literally every game. You know, Josie Altador has come in in some games, and I don't think he's played, played bad. But I think that there are some guys that, like Gustavo Bo, that I think has struggled with, with injury or whatever, and, you know, the offense is having a tough time kind of having that continuity and having kind of the same guys there. So curious to see if that changes over the next few weeks. Um, but I think, you know, now we're past the CONCACAF Champions League and the crazy schedule that I think the Revs kind of have no excuse right now to be playing the way that they're playing. So it definitely has to change because the Revs are, you know, currently tied for last in the Eastern Conference uh, with four points. Their next game is against Charlotte Saturday night. They also have games against DC United and then a rematch against um, Inter-Miami at Gillette Stadium on April 30th. So I think that probably does it for uh, the Revs. You know, dropping that 3-2 decision to Inter-Miami, not ideal, but it is still early, but the Revolution really need to kind of get into a rhythm, get some points, you know, get some continuity, get some good attacking rhythm going in these next few games. Um, so I think now we'll move on to some other national stuff. Um, obviously, the Masters finished yesterday. Scotty Scheffler winning his first career major at 25 years old, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Rory McIlroy had a record-tying 64 that he shot yesterday, so he finished second. Um, Tiger Woods, obviously, not the best performance here at the Masters, but I think pretty tremendous that he was even able to compete uh, this weekend and has committed to the Open, which will take place in the next few months. So, you know, Masters, always a, always a fun thing to watch. You know, I'm not a huge golf person, uh, never really have been, but, you know, it's always a tournament that, that's exciting to watch. So big congratulations to uh, Mr. Scheffler for winning that Um Winning at 2.7 million, <laughs> uh, but really a, a neat tournament, you know. And I think that he's someone that, uh, you know, pretty much was in control the entire time. So, you know, that's always kind of impressive to watch. You know, obviously it is exciting when it's closer, but I think also when you have someone that's you know dominated as well as he did this weekend, it's also you know pretty impressive as well. So, obviously, talking about this next event, which you know, feels like it took place three weeks ago, the uh, NCAA Men's National Championship Basketball, uh, which was last Monday. We did a little preview last week, but uh, Kansas able to win after being down 15 points at halftime. Um, it was pretty tremendous. You know, K 
Kansas fall behind or falls behind UNC. You know, really kind of shooting the lights out, playing great offensive basketball. Um, and then Kansas just kind of erases that deficit in the second half, and they kind of did it fairly easily and fairly quickly. You know, it was kind of amazing. It was like they got right back into the game, you know, five, six minutes into the second half. They ultimately were able to win um, and win 72-69 to win the title. Very similar to a game that they played um, against Miami, I think it was, in the Sweet 16, where they just didn't play well for a lot of the first half and then just dominated Miami the rest of the game. But obviously this game was closer, kind of went down to the wire. Um, always exciting when those games go deep, but I think, or always exciting when those games go down to the wire, but I think, you know, Kansas, great job for them to to finish off the season. And um, I think just a, a team that I think caught their stride during the tournament, you know, which is very, very unusual. I think that, you know, a team kind of struggles through the first couple games and then figures it out and then just kind of runs everyone out of the gym with how well they played offensively. You know, obviously they didn't dominate UNC in this game, but definitely there were some guys that took advantage of the way that they play basketball. And, you know, they played really, really well in the second half, knocking down threes and, you know, getting to the end, playing some good defense down the stretch against UNC. But this was a great game, you know, and I think the, Final Four was pretty exciting. You know, I know a lot of people, there are some people thinking that, oh, great, you know, here we go, another, you know, blue blood team that wins. But I think for me personally, I think as long as the games are exciting and the games are, you know, worth watching, that's really all that matters. Honestly, I don't really care about, you know, which teams are in it, if it's the same teams, as long as it's good. It's really all that matters to me. So uh, congratulations to Bill Self in Kansas uh, for winning, I think, there's, I think his second national title. I'm, I'm not sure about how many, how many total titles they have had as a program, but obviously they've been one of the best programs in the last uh, 20 years or so. So Kansas with the win, obviously South Carolina winning the uh, women's national championship as well. So I guess we'll uh, we'll see in November when college basketball is back. Um, so before before we go, um, I did want to make note of really a, a really sad and, and tragic event that happened over the weekend. Uh, Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins um, died after being uh, hit by a car um, on a Florida highway, um, and I think. Obviously, it was something that came as a shock, and I think anytime something like this happens, it's just a tremendous shock to the entire sports community. And, you know, obviously, my thoughts go to Dwayne's family and, you know, all the people that he affected. You know, I have to say that it just, it is just so sad when something like this happens, but it always kind of amazes me that the amount of love and outpouring support comes out for, for someone like this, who, you know, me personally, I didn't know much about Dwayne Haskins. You know, I knew that he went to Ohio State, you know, was tremendous at Ohio State, but I didn't know that the amount of, you know, love and affection that so many people had for him and what a great person that he was. You know, you see all the guys in the NFL 
saying a lot of, you know, wonderfully nice things about him that, you know, he was a great person and really cared about people. And it's just one of those things that it just is amazing how quickly the sports community can come together for, you know, such a tragic and, and sad loss that the community, sports community is able to come together and, you know, remember a person for, you know, not only their accomplishments that they had on the field, but what they did off the field and the person that they were. Because I think in these situations, it's always, you know, I don't want to say in these situations, but I think in general, it sometimes is hard to separate an athlete from what they do on the field to, you know, who they are as a person. Now, it shouldn't be that difficult because I think at the end of the day, and I know I've said this plenty of times that, you know, athletes are human beings just like you and me. And I think for us to think of them as just kind of a, an asset or a commodity is just kind of, you know, it's not okay. And I think we have to kind of stop and think about athletes as people more often than not. And I think it plays into a lot of, you know, when you see athletes that say that they want to take a break for, you know, their mental health. I think that this kind of plays into that, that like we have to, we have to respect the athletes more and we have to respect, you know, who they are as people. And it just, it's, it's unfortunate when, you know, there has to be a comment about, you know, what, what Dwayne did or didn't do as a football player. And it just is like, that's not the point. You know, I think it's just, we have to start treating athletes like they are people, you know, I just think that that's really the simplest way I can put it, um, that, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just unfortunate when things like that happen and people's first reaction is to, you know, I don't know, say, say something like, you know, Dwayne struggled to catch on as an NFL quarterback. And it's just like, that's not necessary. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, I just don't know why that has to come into play. You know, you remember the type of person that he was and, you know, what he did and maybe mention things in the community that he did, you know, rather than talking about what he did or didn't do at the NFL level. It's just, it's just annoying to me when that happens, when, you know, we should be, you know, celebrating Dwayne's life and, celebrating who he was as a person and you know not have to be like oh you know he wasn't a starting quarterback at the NFL level or something like that it just is not necessary so um it's just a really sad and tragic situation because Dwayne was I believe working out with Steelers teammates um down in Florida so it just is it's just really sad and it's just hard to hard to kind of do a sports podcast and not, you know, think about something like that, that, you know, I think surprised and shocked a lot of people. So, um, that I think is, is all I got for this week, to be honest. Uh, you know, you can be, be on the lookout for, uh, the guest Friday episode that will come out later this week. Derek Welch and I will talk uh, NBA playoffs, talk Celtics, talk the other matchups 
Um, that was actually something I was going to take a look at before we said goodbye. Um, just taking a quick look at what the uh, first round matchups were going to be. Obviously, we'll get more in-depth with that once Derek and I have our conversation later this week. So as of right now, we'll take a look at the standings. Uh, the Heat obviously finishing first in the Eastern Conference, so they will play the eight seed. So the play-in will kind of explain how that works. Um, so there are four teams that participate in it. Um, the Nets are the seven seed, the Cavs are the eight, Hawks are the nine, Hornets are the 10. So this is what it is in the Eastern Conference. So the Nets and the Cavs will play each other. Uh, the winner will play the Celtics, and then the loser will play the winner of the Hawks Hornets game. Um, the loser of the Hawks Hornets game will be eliminated. Um, and then you have the winner of the Hawks Hornets, the loser of the Nets Cavaliers. Those two teams will play each other. And then the winner of that game will play the Heat in the first round. As far as the other two matchups that have been decided in the East, you have Milwaukee against Chicago and then Philadelphia against Toronto. And then taking a look at the Western Conference, uh, Minnesota and the Clippers will play in the 7-8 game. Winner will play Memphis. And then the loser of that game will play the winner of the Pelicans Spurs. And then the winner of that game will play the Suns in the first round. The other Western Conference series are Golden State against Denver and then Dallas against Utah. So it actually just occurred to me that I probably should take a look at the uh, NHL notes and standings. Um, so for the NBA, the first two play-in games are tomorrow night, Cleveland and Brooklyn at 7, and then the Clippers and the Timberwolves at 9.30. And then tomorrow, Charlotte and Atlanta at 7, and then San Antonio and New Orleans at 9.30. And then the uh, elimination games are going to be Friday, so, you know, losers of the 7-8, winner of the 9-10. Those two games will be on Friday before the playoffs. So just some other NBA notes. Uh, it appears to be that Frank Vogel is out as Lakers head coach after three seasons, uh, which is kind of interesting to me. The uh, Wolves are signing uh, Chris Finch to a multi-year extension. He led the team. Uh, back to the playoffs, into the play-in. Um, also, Luka Doncic appeared to suffer a calf strain in the regular season finale last night, so that's still that. That's a tough thing for, for Dallas. Uh, Steph Curry's still up in the air for Game 1. Um, Matisse Thibel um, is not eligible for the Sixers games in Toronto as he is unvaccinated. Um, so we'll take a look at the NHL. Take a look at some some notes here. A couple of college players uh, signing their entry level contracts. Um, Owen Power, the number one pick in the draft last season, will uh, not only sign his uh, entry level contract, but he will debut, make his debut tomorrow um, as the Sabers take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the Hobie Baker winner, Bobby or Hobie Brink, the Hobie Baker finalist, Bobby Brink. Uh, signed a deal with the Flyers on Sunday. So unclear whether he will make his debut, but he is signed. Um, and then Matty Beniers, the number two pick 
in the 2021 draft agreed to a deal with the Kraken. I believe that he will practice for them this week. Uh, so makes it look like he maybe will make his debut before the season is over. So there's one game on the NHL schedule tonight, 7 o'clock, the Jets and the Canadians at 7 o'clock. So we'll take a quick look at the standings as they stand uh, right now as we are approaching the final couple games of the season. Carolina still leads the Metro, 102 points. The Rangers right there with 100 points. So they're two points back, and then Pittsburgh is in third in the Atlantic, Florida, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. And then the Bruins in that first wildcard spot, but just one point behind the Lightning. And then Washington is in the second wildcard with 90 points as they've been playing very well recently. They've won their last three. And then in the West, Colorado still leads the West um, and leads the NHL with 110 points, uh, just two points ahead of Florida. Minnesota is in second, St. Louis in third, both teams with 94 points in the Pacific. Calgary first with 97 points, then Edmonton second with 90, and then the Kings third with 86 in the wildcard spots. Nashville in the first position with 87 points, and then Dallas in the second position with 86, and Vegas is just two points behind the Stars for that final wildcard spot. So I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Really looking forward to my conversation uh, with Derek Welch for Guest Friday. So that will be out on Friday. You guys can listen to that before the NBA playoffs get started um, officially. Obviously, you have the play-in games this week. Um, so definitely tune into those if you're interested and particularly interested in who the Celtics will be playing in the first round of the playoffs. So that does it for me. We'll talk to you guys on Guest Friday later this week.